10 years ago and what he's done in the, t in the days since. And it's amazing for me personally to think that it's been 10 years. If you were here for that very first service, we had a combined worship service at 10 o'clock. If you were here for that very first worship service 10 years ago, would you stand? Go ahead and stand up if you were here for that service. Now, now remain standing. Those of you who are seated, these are some of the people who made it possible for you to be here. So those of you who are seated, you say thank you to those who are standing. Now remain standing. Remain standing until I tell you to sit down. Now those of you who are standing, look around at those who are seated. They are some of the ones God had placed on our hearts God had in mind when he told us to do this. Would you say thank you to them? Let them know you're glad they're here today, those of you who are standing. Thank you. You can, you can be seated. Now, you all know I like to preach. Preach a lot and sometimes preach long. And today I'm going to preach a little. But with your permission, I'd like to reminisce a little bit. Back in the 90s, I started keeping a journal, and off and on, over the years since, I've done that. And uh, this is one of my journals, and I'm not going to bore you with reading all of this, but I do want to share with you one simple paragraph that I wrote on Monday, April 5. It was the day following our first worship service here at this campus. And it had been a, a busy a few weeks leading up to it. And that Sunday was a great day and, and a long day. And I went to bed about 11 o'clock that Sunday night, and I did not wake up until 10 o'clock the next day. And at 11.15, in my journal, I started writing. I wrote several pages. Here's the first paragraph. Yesterday was a glorious day. More than 1,500 people attended the first worship service in our new facility at Dave Lyle Boulevard. We had to set up more than 100 extra chairs. Music was great. Things haven't changed, have they? Things went well with no major glitches. I'd, you know, I'd worry about stuff like that. People were excited, impressed, touched. Several joined the church. It will take a few weeks to, for me to really get comfortable on the large stage. The stage we had downtown, I think, was about 8 feet wide and 4 feet deep. It was like I was in a pen. And we came out here and I had all of this. And so I wrote that uh, it'll take me a while to get comfortable on the large stage and to remember to direct my eyes toward those in the back of the room, not just the front. I've got a learning curve. Then I continued writing. Little did I know on that day how much of a learning curve I really did have and how much God would teach me in the decade to follow, but I am so thankful for all of it. The truth is our journey did not begin in April of 2004 when we had our first worship service in this building. This church's journey began all the way back in the 1800s. And there have been pages written, chapters written in the story of this church all the decades since. The move, a big chapter was written in 1996 when our church overwhelmingly by secret ballot voted to purchase this property. And those of you who were there at that time, 
How many of you remember what we called the very first capital campaign to pay for buying the property? You remember what we called that capital campaign? Forward by Faith. You know how we came up with the name Forward by Faith? On an insert in the bulletin, I had listed about 40 or 50 possible names for the campaign. And on Sunday morning in each of our three worship services that we held at the time downtown, I I said to the congregation, now get out that piece of paper and I'm going to read these out loud and I want you to read them silently and just listen and, and just remember, I want you to know which one really jumps up and grabs you. And so I read all the names, all the titles. And then I said, I'm going to read them again, and this time I want you to raise your hand on the one that really grabbed you. And, 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 and as I read over the list in each of the three services, when I came to a forward by faith, about 80% of the hands went up. It was a God moment. We knew what we were to call this forward by faith. And the truth is, it has been a faith journey the entire time. We would not be here without faith, for it was not possible for us in our own strength to do what God has done. It took faith, big steps of faith. Now, a lot has changed since 2004. I don't know if you realize this, but since we had our first worship service in this building, we've had three presidential elections in America. In 2004, gay marriage was not legal in any state. Today, it's legal in 17 states. In 2004, LeBron James was a rookie in the NBA, and no one had heard of Lady Gaga. No one had heard of the television shows The Big Bang Theory, NCIS, or Duck Dynasty. A lot has changed since 2004. But allow me a moment. Since 2004, 200 men and women who love Jesus and were part of this church have gone home to see Jesus. And I've got all their names and the dates of their passing on this paper. In the years between 1996, when we voted by this property and we actually moved out here another 70 went home to be with Jesus. So from the day we started this journey to this 10-year anniversary, 270 men and women who are part of our family of faith are not with us because they're home in glory. As I look over this list, so many names, so many memories. Some of you will remember some of these. Jamie Sue Adams, Lucille Alsing, Lucille's parents were part of this church when it relocated to, to, to Main Street downtown in 1918, 1920. And she was part of, part of this journey. Bernard, Dan and Betty Armstrong, Janie Barnett, James Bart, Joel and Francis Bradley, M.J. Campbell. M, how many of y'all remember M.J. Campbell? M.J. Campbell had hands that were as big as, one of his hands was as big as two of mine, and when he shook your hand, it hurt. And he loved to pray and he loved to preach. Big old guy. Big hearted guy. Well, yesterday, yesterday was a busy day for me. I preached the funeral of Mac Fields, one of our members. 
he's and his wife Shirley, they're, they're in one of those pictures in your bulletin today. They were here for the groundbreaking. He went home to be with Jesus yesterday. Ten years ago, we had our first service on that Sunday. The Saturday, that Saturday, the choir and me and a whole bunch of people met up here for about three hours to kind of do a run-through because we'd never done anything in this building, make sure everything worked and get used to the surroundings. And so we had a big practice. But on that Saturday as well, ten years ago, on that Saturday, Ross Presley died. Ross was an older member of this church. Ross... A few years before that, had inherited some money from a relative, and he made a very significant financial contribution to help this church move from that inheritance. And Ross never got to worship in this building. He went home to be with the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying to bring our spirit down. But I got to tell you, I don't know how to celebrate the work of God that brought us to this day without taking a moment to remember those who made it possible that are no longer with us. As we celebrate. I want to celebrate their faith, their sacrifice, their support. And I'm also aware that there's a good number of people in this church, particularly in the service that just ended, who've been part of this journey and have sacrificed so much and prayed so hard and helped in so many ways that over the next five years, I'm going to be doing a lot of what I did yesterday. And I wanted to take time this morning to say to those who are part of that great cloud of witnesses in heaven right now, as well as those who will join them in the years to come, I just wanted to take a moment and as pastor of this church say to all of them and to each of them, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I also want to say something else. God is not finished. Did you hear what I just said? God is not finished. There is so much He is doing and so much more He is going to do in this church. And I want you to hear a story from one young man. Christian, come on up. This is Christian Rector. I want you to to listen. I've asked Christian to come and share his testimony with us today. Because God's working in this young man's life. Would you welcome Christian to the pulpit? Go ahead, brother. Thanks, y'all. I've been a member of First Baptist Church and born and raised in Rock Hill. And I was baptized at the old location uh, at age of seven. I I was a little bed baby whenever... (laughs) <laughs> at the old church, it was it was fun. Um, in my early teens, I started having seizures and stopped going to church. Um, just started staying in the house, not really doing anything, staying away from people because 
it was just it was it was scary and I did not feel like having people watch me while I had a seizure. And when I was seventeen I had a seizure in school and that that just wasn't fun. Um it, it made the rest of my high school career just not fun at all and I still hadn't found Jesus and then just just about a year ago I came back to church and I was sitting right where y'all were and watching the choir and everything and I I really wanted to join the choir so I I looked I looked in the bulletin and saw that Steve White was looking for more people to join the choir and it this church just offers so much and and being in the choir has brought me peace and it's it's really let let me know that God will be there if I have a seizure and it just has raised my confidence so much and just just look in the bulletin and there will be something in there that will help your life and will help you become more confident about the way you live and how you live and where you live it at. Just God bless you all. Let me ask you something. Go, yeah, go ahead. It's all right. Just in your own words, what does Jesus mean to you now? Jesus means just forgiveness and welcoming and bringing forth people all, all here for the same goal in life. And just it made it possible. When you look out at all these people, what do you see? see God's creations that we're able to create something like this where even more of God's creation can come and worship. Would you join me as we pray for Christian? Lord, we thank you for this young man and the work you're doing in his life for the peace that he now feels. But Lord, you, you can do incredible things. And in the Gospels, Jesus, you touched people's hearts and you touched their minds and you touched their souls and you touched their lives and we thank you for touching Christian and giving him peace and joy but God we pray that you touch his body and strengthen him and God if it be your will we'd ask that you remove these seizures from him as well we ask that you keep your hand upon him and that you bless him every day in Jesus name amen Would you say thank you to Christian amen. God bless you Thank you. Here you go. Christian. A few weeks ago, we baptized a young lady in our church named Sue Hensley. She's 75 years old. And she gave me permission to share some of her story. She grew up in a home that wasn't religious. Her mother would send her to Sunday school occasionally, but she said she could never remember her own mom going to church. When she became a young woman, she married a guy who was in the military, so she was a military wife, and they traveled, moved a lot. And she would usually attend the Protestant chapel on base wherever they were stationed. In 2008, they moved to Rock Hill, and um, she started looking for a church. She was seeking God. She was searching. And she came here, found us on the Internet. And this is the church God just put in her heart, and, and she 
wanted to attend. She, she enjoyed, and so she started coming. And then she said, late in 2008 or early 2009, we had a guest preacher. And that preacher challenged everybody. He, he said, if you're, if you're searching for God, you're seeking God, pray to him every day for 90 days. And if you'll do that, God will find you. You'll find him. You'll meet. And she said, well, I, I decided to do that. And she said, after five days of praying, Jesus came into my heart. Maybe I need to be going to have guest preachers more often. I don't know. And she started growing. She started attending the Tuesday morning women's Bible study. She started coming to Sunday school some, started reading the Bible every day. Today she has daily devotions. But, but it's a journey. And, and, and you know, our, our journeys are all different. Some of us, we, we experience transformation and growth quickly, and for others it takes a little bit longer. We, we don't all move at the same pace. And it took her those years between late 2008, early 2009, until just a few weeks ago to take that public step being baptized. But she's done it. And she beams with a big old smile and she's excited and she's growing. And, and she reads her Bible every day. And, and, and she, said, she said, I just love my church. She said, she said I, I feel like there's hope and I'm, and I'm happier. Each of us have story. We have a story. You have a story. Christians got a story. I have a story. You have a story. This church has a story. Up here on this desk are some of my possessions, and these represent different parts of my story. This is my wedding day, 32 years ago, last month. And this is my bride. It's prettier every day. Now, y'all know what this is, don't you? Go Big Blue. Between the Sunday this church voted to call me as pastor when I was 29 and the Sunday I started as pastor, my father died. A few months before that, I baptized him as a new believer in the Kentucky River. And this picture sits in my office, and every day as I sit at my desk, I remember that glorious day nearly 27 years ago part of my story these briefcases I just carried stuff in but this one here is an old Samsonite briefcase that I bought when I first started preaching as a 17 year old and it's been through a lot that's the reason it's beaten up so badly all part of my story I like to read autobiographies and biographies and history and these are just some of the ones that I've Read and, and in people's biographies and, and their lives and their stories, there's all kinds of experiences, and some are good and some are bad. Sometimes they're successful and sometimes they struggle. Isn't that the way it is for all of us? As a follower of Christ, and as we grow, we hope that there's more good written than, than bad, that there's more successes than, than struggles. One of the uh, biographies I read years ago was Lee Iacocca. Some of you remember Lee Iacocca, chairman of Chrysler? His parents were immigrants. He grew up during the Depression. His family was, were devout Catholics, and they went to Mass every week and, and communion and confession. And, and part of what he said that was a good experience for him let me just read a couple of sentences here. He said, it, it, it took me a number of years to fully understand why I had to make a good confession to the priest before I went to Holy Communion. But in my teens, I began to, 
to appreciate the importance of this most misunderstood rite of the Catholic Church. I not only had to think about my transgressions against my friends, I had to speak them aloud. In later years, I found, I found myself completely refreshed after confession. I even began to attend weekend retreats with the Jesuits and face-to-face examinations of conscience made me come to grips with how I was conducting my life. That's some of the good. But Leah Coca also had some of the bad. One of the negative consequences of growing up in the Great Depression for him was this. And he said, here, here, let me just read it. He said, the Depression turned me into a materialist. Years later, when I graduated from college, my attitude was, don't bother me with philosophy. I want to make 10000 by 10000 a year by the time I'm 25, and, and, and then I want to be a millionaire. He said, I wasn't interested in a snob degree. I was after the bucks. And so growing up in a devout Catholic family during the Depression, he, he, he understood the value of coming to terms with how you were living and how you treated people. But he also struggled because he said having nothing. In fact, later he would write about how all the pictures in their family, because they took a lot of photographs, when he was a preschooler they were dressed in nice clothes, but when he became an elementary child they were ragged. The depression had set in, and his father had lost everything. And he said that experience drove him to be a materialistic human being who cared about money too much. We all have our stories. And some parts of it are better than other parts. And the same thing is true with churches. This church has a story. If I could uh, pick up a book that had the history of this church written in it, all of our stories, all of our experiences, so many of them would be grand. So, so There'd be so many times we were people of faith, so many times when we were faithful. But there would be some times when we didn't have faith. There would be some times when we were disobedient. There'd be some bad along with the good. There'd be some heartache along with the joy. Thankfully, more of it is good than bad, more of it is joyous than sad. But even our story as a family of faith has those different parts to it. But our story is not finished. These books have been written and published. Ours is still being written. Now, our church story has a lot of chapters already. But as long as Jesus allows us to be here, there are more chapters to be written. In fact, we're writing chapters in the life of this church, in the story of this church today. The weeks, the months, the years to come, we're, we're adding to it. It's like there's all these, all these blank pages and, and we're writing. You're, you're writing chapters in your own life and you're helping us write chapters in the story of this church. And I just don't know. Nobody had a heart attack. That's good. I don't know what's going to be written on those blank pages. but you're going to write them. I'm going to write them. Together, we're going to write them. The decisions we make, the faith we exhibit, the heart that we have, the actions we take, we're going to write the next chapters in this church's story and the question is 
what are they going to be like? What are they going to say? What kind of story will it be? Will it be good? Will it be bad? Will it be faithful or will it be unfaithful? And God gives us instructions for how to, how to write a good story. In Hebrews 12, if you want to open your Bible, he says this in verse 1. He said, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping or fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, the entire chapter, immediately before chapter 12, is sometimes referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame in the Bible because it talks about the lives of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and countless others, men and women, saints in the Old Testament who exhibited tremendous faith, great faith. They are, they are an example of faith in God, of doing what God has called people to do. And after writing that chapter, holding up these men and women of faith as an example to inspire, he says, therefore, because of them, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know who the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us as a people of faith at First Baptist? Do you know who that cloud of witnesses is? You know, you know who it is? It's those 270 people who started this journey with us that are not here today. They are our cloud of witnesses. It was their faith, their sacrifice, their support, their obedience that helped us be here today. And when the Bible says there are a cloud of witnesses, it doesn't mean they're sitting in the grandstands of glory watching us and cheering us on. It means something so much more important than that. The word witness literally means to have knowledge, to understand. Through their life, through their experience, they understand that faith works and they are a witness an example to us that faith works and we should always be people who move forward in faith chapter 11 that faith hall of fame chapter begins in verse 1 by saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction or the evidence of things not seen how do you and I move into the future when we don't know what the future will be. How, how do we continue writing chapters in the story of this church and in the story of my life when I don't know everything that's going to be part of that journey on the front side? By faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction. Faith is the evidence the things not seen. I can't see the future. That's okay. But by faith, I take the step God tells me to take today knowing that He is with me and the future will be okay if I in faith do today what He's telling me to do in this moment. 
That's the only way to write a good chapter. If I don't live by faith and move into the future by faith, I'll write a lot of bad chapters, and so will you, and so will this church. Verse 2, for, for by it, by faith, men of old gained approval. How do you get the approval of God in your life? How do we get the approval of God on this church? Be people of faith. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That's how we write the next chapters. For those of you who were not here, I cannot overstate for you how big a step of faith it was for this church family to buy this property, to leave downtown, and build this campus. Because on paper it didn't make sense. But you see, with faith, that's okay. What chapters are we going to write in the days to come? What chapters are you going to help us write? God tells us here, you're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, people from the past who were examples of faith. Follow their example. And he says, run the race. Run the race that is set before you. There is no excuse for a Christian, no excuse for a church not being in the race. Run the race. And he says, run it with endurance. Don't quit. Lay aside every encumbrance. Whatever it is that weighs us down, slows us down, holds us back, lay it aside. Get rid of it. The sin which so easily entangles us is the picture of a person or an object that gets in the way of a runner. If something's in our way, push it to the side. Because if it's in our way, when we're in the race of God, it's a sin. And the word translated sin here is a particular word that means to miss the goal, to miss the mark that God says, this is the goal I have for you in life. You're my disciple. You're my follower. This is the goal I have for you. You're my church. This is the goal I have for you. When you miss it, it's sin. Lay aside what causes you to miss it. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on yourself, not on your fears, not on your comforts, not on other people, but only on Christ. A few years ago, officials with the uh, Russian Orthodox Church discovered that one of their church buildings had vanished. The church itself had been pretty well dead for decades, nobody attending, but they, they went to that little town and the building was gone. They discovered that over the years, residents of that community had chiseled out one brick after another and sold the bricks individually to a local businessman who gave them one ruble or four cents per brick. And over time, this two-story Russian Orthodox brick church vanished. Will you help us build this church? Will you help us move into the future God has for you, for us? Will you help us be a people of faith and faithfulness? Will you 
Help us write chapters that are good and godly and Christ-honoring, chapters that that touch lives. They're they're filled with stories of people who've been saved, stories of people whose lives have been turned around, people who who are discouraged, and all of a sudden they're encouraged and they're lifted. Will you help us write those kind of stories, those kind of chapters? Because if you don't, brick by brick, it makes us weaker. What kind of chapters are you writing in your life as a follower of Christ? And what kind of chapters are you going to help us as a church write in the future? Because we're writing them every day and every And once they're written, they cannot be rewritten. Would you stand? Father, in Jesus' name I pray right now, as you have touched our hearts, that men and women would respond in obedience to your calling. God, I pray that your spirit would move powerfully among us right now. And those who need to come to Jesus would come. Those who need to be part of this church would come and join this church. Those who need to surrender to you and let you write some new chapters would surrender to you. Help us, God, obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing, and I invite you to make your way to the front where these pastors are, to kneel, to pray, to seek God to talk to them about the chapters you're writing in your own life, the chapters you're helping this church to write, to join this church, to to just surrender your life to the Lord. So let's sing together. And there in the back, on the sides, the middle, wherever you are, just come and kneel and pray. Come and talk to one of these pastors. Let us know what your decision is. You come and seek God right now. Let's sing together.